First Kings chapter 19. If you have a copy of the word tonight, I'm going to ask that you take your Bible and turn to it. So turn to First Kings chapter 19. There are some sections of scripture. And so when we're in First Kings 19, back into 18, uh, back into 19, we're just going to use our word tonight. And, and those will not be listed on the screen. But there will be other passages that we will put up on the screen if it's not from our primary passage in 1 Kings chapter 19 or 18. Recently I read this and, and the expression went like this, depression is the common cold of our emotions. Eventually it touches everyone, even God's people. Now I know that there are some people that it's kind of like, wow, some, somebody just has to, you know, be in the same state with a cold and they catch it, you know. They just get, they, they get it all the time. And so I understand there are some people that, wow, they're really susceptible to the common cold. And then there are other people that it's just like, man, they so rarely get sick. Maybe every once in a while, but so rarely do they come down with the common cold. But it seems like, you know, everybody at some point, sometime or another, they do come down with the common cold. And depression's oftentimes like that. I think there are some people, some personalities, some series of circumstances that are confronting people and it causes them on maybe a more frequent basis to struggle with depressive thoughts or moods or even seasons. And then there are others who'd say, I, I so rarely do, but I certainly understand what it means to go through a time of depression. And the last, um, the last two evenings, last Sunday night and then on our past Wednesday evening, we spent time in our, our Stony Ground series to address the matter of depression. And tonight we will title our message Dealing with the Stony Ground of Depression. Now I know that this is a topic that we could quite honestly spend additional time on, but, but to me that would be rather depressing. So we're going to address some things this evening and then we will continue on. As we begin tonight, we're going to look, we're going to start out really at the bottom of the barrel for Elijah. So we're going to start from some of his depths and then we'll work our way out. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is following his great victory. Let's start in verse number 1, 1 Kings 19 verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she's saying tomorrow at this time, you, Elijah, are a dead man. What took place with the prophets of Baal is going to take place this time tomorrow to you. Verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He took the threat seriously. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Now think through the, the reality of this request. And he requested for himself that he might die. 
and said, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah comes to a place in his life where he could go no lower. To come to the place where you say, I don't want to face tomorrow. I don't want to go forward anymore. I'm I'm finally at the place where this is the end. No more, God. He, He actually expresses it. He says, it's enough. How much is a person supposed to handle? No more. I'm no better than the people that I have been trying to help. Lord, here's my prayer. If you want to do me a favor, the the favor is this. Just, God, you do the deed. You take me home. When we start to consider what is it that led to Elijah's, you know, bottom of the barrel experience, why does this prophet of God, who's been uniquely and wonderfully used, I mean, think about how, how he, he comes on the scene some three and a half years prior. I mean, he bursts on the scene by making this entrance into the uh, ivory palace, so to speak, the, at least the ivory throne of Ahab, the king of Israel. And he, he, he comes in, and then he makes this shocking statement. You know, with with his prophetic finger pointing at Ahab, the king, he says, there'll be no dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. I mean, because of the, the departure of Ahab and his godless, wicked wife, Jezebel, the people of Israel had been led so deeply, so far astray from God. So God sends his prophet and, man, Elijah goes in, confronts Ahab, and now a series of events begin to just follow along. No dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And that's exactly what happened. And so now Israel's in a time of drought. Uh, Since the, the words of Elijah came to pass, Ahab is furious There is a nationwide search for Elijah. So Elijah has to go from point A, hiding, point B, hiding, um, um, point C, hiding. He continually following the prompting, the leading of God. He is hiding for his life from those that are seeking him. Uh, Then he confronts Elijah, excuse me, Elijah confronts Ahab again. And uh, Ahab is so desperate right now, he's actually out looking for grazing for his livestock. The king of Israel is out looking for places for his livestock to keep them alive. So things are desperate. And who is it that appears to Ahab the king? None other than the very one that everybody's looking for, Elijah. And uh, then the king makes some statements to Elijah that we will explore a little bit further. The, the, the meeting on top of Mount Carmel, um, the, the, the giving of rain, the slaying of the prophets. I mean, all of this has happened. And now Elijah says, God, I want to die. It's enough. I can't handle this any longer. What is it that causes Elijah to be so depressed? Let's look at a few causes of depression The first cause of depression might be a little bit shocking to us, but I would submit it as follows. Number one tonight, cause of depression. I don't know that I'm saying this is the number one cause of depression, but it is our first one that we'll look at tonight and following the narrative. 
The first one that we'll look at is success. Success. First cause that we'll look at tonight of depression, success. You say, well, how in the world? Okay, back up just a little bit. First Kings chapter 18, verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known. This is his prayer. The, the prophets of Baal have tried all day long. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. Now, okay, think through what is Elijah trying to accomplish? Revival in Israel. Wants to get their attention. He prays the prayer. It's 60-some it's words long in our English Bible. This is a brief prayer. Let it be known that everyone in Israel can know that there's a God and it's you. Fire comes down, consumes the, the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, licks up the water and the dust around the area. And then what is it that the people do? Verse number, um, verse number 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. <laughs> this, this is what we would look at as, wow, this is the result that Elijah's been praying for. This is the result he's been looking for. And the people don't just say it as an acknowledgement, they repeat it. They're, they're not just saying, huh, wow, interesting, the Lord is the God. The Bible says they fell on their faces and then they repeat it, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. This is everything that a prophet could desire. What happens next? Um, verse number 40, and Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishron and slew them there. This is all the very thing that Elijah's been working for. Now it had happened. So what's next? Do you know it's interesting that sometimes when we have this constant focus of life and then the thing that we're working so hard to accomplish happens, we sometimes are not prepared for, now what do I do? I know you know the name and I'm not bringing up the name to, to be silly about it or, or anything like that, of course, but the most decorated Olympian um, of all times is Michael Phelps. So Phelps is um, incredibly decorated. In fact, 28 Olympic medals were his. Uh, he really had his standout year in the Olympics in the 2012 London Games. And um, I mean, he just broke record after record after record. They, they have um, images of Phelps with you know, his medals around his neck and then lining up both of his, his incredibly long arms. And it's just remarkable. Th this guy most decorated. I mean, if you're an athlete and you finally have your face on a box of Wheaties, that's a pretty big deal. So here he is, he's at the pinnacle. 
You know, he's at the peak. And by the way, not only is his face on a box of Wheaties, at this point, 2012, London Games, he's worth an estimated $80 million. So the guy has arrived. In London, after the Games, he, he reports himself that he struggled at that moment, at that time, with bouts of depression that kept him from getting out of bed some five days. This is what he said. When depression hits, it can feel like nothing really matters. Sometimes my greatest challenge was just getting out of bed. Compared to that, winning a gold medal was pretty easy. Um, In psychological terms, they oftentimes call this condition the arrival fallacy or post-achievement depression. Once I achieve this milestone, I'm going to be so happy. If this comes off well, ah, it's going to be so good. If I can only get to this stage, to this point, to have this success, to get beyond that, ah. But what we're failing to realize is is this is just a little stopping point along the path of life. This is not the end of all. This is just a point of the journey. And sometimes we focus so much on the point that we forget this is just a marker along a much longer trail. Think Think about all that Elijah had just accomplished. Okay, called down fire from heaven. Pretty impressive. Slain the 450 prophets of Baal, prayed for rain, and he does so seven times, and he sees just a little cloud off in the distance, about the size of a man's fist, and and that produces this this wonderful downpour that ends the three and a half years of drought. And, And, you know, add to that, after all of this is over, he runs essentially a marathon and it's some 17 miles, and he, he literally beats Ahab's chariot back to Jezreel. Why does Elijah face depression? Reason number one, success. Okay, why else do we think that Elijah faced depression? Number two, isolation. Isolation. Uh, Elijah had been rather isolated for some lengthy periods of time prior to the Mount Carmel experience. And then he isolates himself additionally afterwards. Notice what he says. Again, 1 Kings 19, verse number 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. Now here, listen to what he says. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He he has something in his head right now that is a a bad way for him to think. What Elijah starts to reason, and listen, there are few of us who have not been at this place. Few of us. And I'm talking about what he's dealing with right now regarding isolation. There are few of us that have not been at the place where, well, well, nobody else cares about I'm the only one who's really thinking about. I mean, sometimes it can be, if you're a college student, sometimes it can be in your room. Like, you know, nobody else in my room cares about. And it really doesn't matter what the thing is. We just start to mentally separate ourselves from everybody else. In a family, 
I'm the only one that really takes care of. Nobody else cares. If this never got done, nobody else would care. I'm the only one that really cares. I mean, in work situations, if it wasn't for me, would this thing ever really be accomplished? If it wasn't for what I'm investing in this, would... And you know what Elijah gets to? Elijah gets himself to the place where he says, I, only I. Wow, Elijah. Do you, do you hear yourself talking? You know, one of the, one of the benefits we're going to address in a few moments is that he actually was talking. I think isolation is one of the reasons. N- number next, verbal attacks and fear. Verbal attacks and fear. Notice a couple instances where Elijah was attacked with accusations against his character and then attempts upon his life. So first Elijah had to hide because of the nationwide search. Then he reveals himself to Ahab. And notice the first thing that is said. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Okay, now remember, Elijah's the guy that actually has Israel's best interest in mind. But Ahab looks at Elijah and he says, hey, you are the problem. Have you ever been accused of something when you're the person that's actually trying to to see something succeed? And now somebody turns the table and they say, oh, like Elijah, art thou he, art thou she that is causing all this trouble? You're actually the issue. What an accusation. You know, if you weren't involved in this whole mess, things would probably be going pretty well. And now people start to make these accusations. And it, it, oh, that is weighty. I would assume there are some of you that have had people actually challenge your motives. And that's very difficult. Because people don't know your motives. People can make assessments from your actions, but people can't know your motives. And so when somebody says, listen, you are the problem, and I know why. I know, like David's brothers said to him when Goliath comes and taunts the people of Israel, we know the naughtiness of your heart. We know you naughty little boy. And David's like, seriously, you're going to lob that charge at me? And I think one of the things that causes his challenge, verbal attacks and fear, Oh, man, I mean, he, he did believe the charge now that Jezebel makes against him. Jezebel sent the messenger, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them about this time tomorrow. You're a dead man, Elijah. People are making threats against him, fear. Now, we, you might not have that kind of fear, so let's just be, you know, acknowledge that. Nobody's threatened my physical life. But, but who here hasn't struggled with fear? Fear is a major cause of depression connected with the what-ifs of life. Say, what if this happens? And Elijah had to be playing that game. Like, I don't know for sure if she'll take my life, but what if she really can? What if she really does? We start playing these what-if games in our mind. And those what-if games are consequential. We, We play them about all kinds of things. What if I don't get the job? What if I don't get the spouse? What if I don't get the raise? Um, What if I don't get the spot on the team? What if I don't have the friend? What if I don't get the approval that I'm looking for? What if I fail? What if I don't succeed? What if I have cancer? What if my child rebels? 
What if people don't like me? What if I can't make the grade? And the list can go on and on. Man, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with the what-if game? When we start playing the what-if game, we're dealing with fear, and fear begins to cause our own set of depressive thoughts. Like, oh, what if that happens? If that happens, it's going to be terrible. If, if this is the reality, that would be the worst thing ever. Oh, what if? And now we start playing with this game in our head because we're, we're dealing with the what ifs of life. Okay, why depression? Exhaustion and fatigue. Exhaustion, fatigue. Elijah after Mount Carmel. We won't take time to read this, but 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4, you know. So he is, he is physically spent. He is emotionally drained. All right. Now, this is something, again, that most people in here can understand. Um, how many of you know the physical weariness that happens from mental exertion? The physical weariness from mental exertion. There, there is something that's like, oh man, I've been working on this and I'm focused on this and I'm trying to accomplish this and it just takes brain power. Now you're not getting steps on your watch. You're not closing any rings. But there is some kind of weariness connected because like that is just draining. I, I can remember years ago, the first time I really started to, to, to sense like, whoa, that is weighty. When, when I traveled years ago as a college representative for Pensacola Christian College, we would travel. We would usually do two presentations at um, churches, schools a day. So you drive, you get there, set up, and then you just talk. And you got to be up the whole time. You know, so you're talking, presenting, and answering questions, interacting with students, uh, talking to the teacher, the principal. You're just up. And then you jump in your car, you race off to the next presentation, and you do the whole thing over again. And you have a little, a little snack for lunch, and then you do the next one, and, and it's exhilarating, it's exciting, and you're telling people all about it, and you're, you know... And then, man, you're driving back to the place where you're going to pillow your head that night. I mean, I'm 21 years old, you know. I'm young, I'm healthy, and I'm exhausted. I get back to a hotel room, and before I go try to find something for dinner, it's just like crash and burn, you know. You're so tired. Well, I haven't broken a sweat that day. Why so tired? Sometimes, you know, in your families, you wonder, like, dad's doing this or mom's doing this all day. And it's like, well, did they really work? And, but, man, they've been working and, you know, being challenged mentally. And they come home and they're just, like, they're worn out. I, I don't know how much work Elijah did. I think physically he did a lot. But, man, think, think just about the mental aspect of what he had to do. And then the, the run back, of course, 450 prophets of Baal. Some, some think maybe the prophets of the groves were there as well. Now, wow, you've, you've, you've got a lot of people. All of this is just physically exhausting. 
if you think even about the physical aspect of it, he travels 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. That's right after the fire comes down from heaven and the rain comes. 17 miles, Mount Carmel to Jezreel. He gets the message, then he travels about 95 miles from Jezreel to Beersheba. Whoa, that's a long ways. And then when he gets to Beersheba, he travels about 130 miles from, Mount, from, from Beersheba to Mount Horeb. Uh, physically speaking, he is as far away from Jezebel as you can get and still stay in the same nation. Th- this guy is physically depleted, emotionally spent, mentally exhausted. He is ripe. Or depression. Why do we struggle with rebellion? Why do we struggle with depression? I gave away the answer. Uh, rebellion. Rebellion. Rebellion is believing a lie. And Elijah was doing exactly that. Um, you know, I, only I. Elijah, that's not the truth, but it was his truth. We won't take time to read this, but 1 Samuel chapter 15, 23, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Listen, I, I have personally, just for what it's worth, I can attest to it because of my own personal experience, and I can attest to it from my own personal observation. Whenever I have struggled with rebellion, I've also, um, you know, consequentially, concurrently struggled with depression. Rebellion is a ripe attitude for depression. Why? Because you're believing a lie. Have you ever seen a happy, joyful, truly, like just the light of the eyes, you know, just shows you the beauty of the soul. Have you ever met a person who's really struggling with rebellion against God-ordained authority, who is not also struggling with some aspect of depression? Life stinks, so to speak. Well, because my, my authority's bad, and then do you know what they do further? Because the authority's bad, and, and now they've actually given themselves a right to do whatever they want to do because I've deemed the authority bad. So I can break any rule. I can do whatever I want. I, if I want to have my own pity party, if I want to just be angry at the world, because, because other people are wrong, believing a lie. It is ripe. It is a ripe circumstance, a ripe attitude for rebellion. Why? Because of continual attack. Because of continual attack. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. What do we do? The answers are really found in the problems. So let me mention them. First, rest. Say, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Take care of yourself. Um, I, I remember years ago... A lady that used to be the, the high school administrator told me this. She said, Jeff, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Not during church, okay? Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Do you know what she's saying? She's saying just take care of yourself. Don't cry about it. Just <laughs> take care of yourself. Um, just for what it's worth, many of you don't get enough sleep. You have high demands on you personally, but your sleep is not good. It is a recipe for depression. And some of you could be sleeping more, but because of whatever distraction. Again, this is for what it's worth. 
I'm not trying to make a huge deal out of this, but um, I'm speaking to a, a, a generation that is digitally so connected that even at times when you pillow your head, you're still not disconnected. And the slightest little notification rouses you from much needed sleep. So do what you have to do. But if, if you're serious about, like, I have to take care of myself physically, then, then figure out how to get good sleep. So rest. Next, tell God how you really feel. Tell God how you really feel. You know, isn't it good that Elijah at least gets it off his chest? Now, he's not thinking completely clearly, but he at least gets it off his chest. He says, I, I'm, I just want to die. God, why don't you just do the deed? Just take my life. I'm no better than any. And he, and he finally just like, ah. And then I and I only. And God so patiently just listens to Elijah vent. Tell God how you really feel. Next, replace your what ifs with what is. Replace your what ifs with what is. Stop playing the what if game and start coming before God and speaking to yourself with what is the reality of my life. We don't have time for these, but here's, here's a sampling. Satan's lies, no good can come from this. This is the worst thing ever. God's truth, and we know, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them we're the called according to his purpose. People hurt me, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against another person. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, against, um, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, God's trying to hurt me. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Lord, whom the Father chasteneth not? I'm just too weak. I can't handle this. No, he says, that's not true. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If I live for the Lord, I'm going to miss out. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. This is the worst thing that could have happened to me. It is good for me. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Replace your what ifs with what is. That means just get in the word and find out, okay, this is what I'm thinking. What's the reality of my life? Replace it with what is. Remove any obstacle preventing fellowship with God. How do I resolve this? Remove any obstacle from fellowship with God. Okay, stop thinking like, well, I, I probably have some physical um, weariness. Maybe. But, but let's, let's get down to, like, what do I have to address? Is there any obstacle between me and God? When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. 
I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Is there anything between you and God? If there is, we, we shouldn't expect to find relief. Offer thanksgiving and praise to God. How do I deal with depression? Offer thanksgiving and praise to God. You say, well, I don't feel like it. That, that's not what I said. Offer thanksgiving and praise to God. God, it is to you and you alone that I offer my, my sacrifice of praise. Praise you, the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. Look for God in the little things. Look for God in the little things. When, when God tells Elijah, go stand in front of the mount when he's on Mount Horeb. He goes and the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, shh, a still small voice. You know, sometimes we're looking for God in, in the big, grandiose events of life. And God says, hey, stop looking for me in this life-altering moment. Like, what, what grand thing is God going to do? And he says, hey, just, shh, just, hey, listen for me. Still small voice. And lastly, get back to work. Get back to work. Do you know God said, Elijah, after Elijah had, had vented and God says, just, shh, listen. He says, okay, Elijah, here's what you have to do next. And do you know, it's interesting, in Elijah doing what God told him to do, here's your next job. Well, you're not, you're not done with me? No, God wasn't done with Elijah. You still have work for me, even though I said I want to die? Still have work for you, Elijah. God also connects Elijah with Elisha, who becomes a, a faithful follower of Elijah. He gives him purpose. He gives him work. He's got a job to do. Elijah, it's time to get back to work. Did Elijah ever struggle with depression again? Who knows? Maybe. Probably. We really don't know. What we do know is that God remains enough regardless of our disposition. God is enough. And when we begin there, things will always appear just a little bit brighter.